0: Maccast, Sunday, March 26th, 2023. Hey MacGeeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of Apple news hints, tips, tricks, information, and all the goings-ons in our little Apple and Maccast community. How are you doing? I hope you are having a wonderful week and things are going well for you been quite nice around here at the metcast studios weather is getting a little bit warmer uh out here in the uh in the midwest we are seeing hints of spring i don't know looks like there might be a little bit of snow later this week or rain it's hard to tell at this point but things are going well i am doing well and again i hope you are doing well also Looking over the news for this week, we have uh, some good things to get into. We're going to talk a little bit about HomePods and uh, what might be happening in the future there. We've got Apple opening new retail spaces around the globe, specifically in one location, and we'll talk about that. Also, iPhones uh, are coming this, you know, this summer, this fall, I guess, really is when they will be out. But we'll get an announcement a little ahead of that. And we'll talk about what we think might be happening with those. Then we got a lot of Apple TV Plus stuff going on. Yeah, some awards and some other things happening. So we'll get into talking about that. And then uh, Apple's headset is having a little bit of... Dilemma's not the right word. I think uncertainty uh, is what we're hearing about right now, and we'll talk about that. And that'll round out the news for this week. Then we're going to, of course, follow up on our fanboy conversation. I uh, got a lot of great feedback from you there from the last episode. We're going to try to help out a listener with a little bit of a mystery, kind of a puzzle. And I'm hoping you could help me, too, because I'm a little bit stumped on this one. And then we'll talk about storage options for backup, and that will round out this episode of the Maccast. So, should be a good one. Let's just jump right in to the conversation, talking a little bit about the future of HomePod. In his latest newsletter, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman claimed that Apple has decided to delay the launch, at least for now, of a rumored upcoming HomePod redesign. This is the one we've been talking about with the integrated display. Actually, uh Gurman's rumor aligns with some recent comments made by analyst Ming-Chi Kuo, who had mentioned that product potentially coming out sometime in the first half, I believe, of 2024. Main reason for the delay given by Gurman is that Apple is looking to try and do some cost savings, also try to help focus and maintain focus on more immediate projects like the rumored mixed reality headset ARVR headset that we're going to talk about here in a little bit as you know things economically at least here well I guess globally but also specifically here in the states um have been causing a lot of tech companies to kind of uh do some layoffs we've we've seen some big uh, firings or layoffs, mass layoffs in the industry. And so far, Apple has been able to avoid that. So supposedly this is kind of Apple trying to keep focus on, uh, their current projects, pushing off new projects a little bit to kind of stay ahead of the tide so that maybe they can avoid some of that. The report also notes that Apple has been doing some other cost-saving measures, including, uh, delaying bonuses for their corporate teams, not hiring for specific teams or as people exit the company, not replacing those positions, all these things helping them save a little bit of costs. They're also reducing uh, budgets uh, in an effort to, again, stay ahead of these negative market forces that have been going on. As far as what we're expecting on the home prod front, we've talked about this a little bit on the show in the past, but essentially, uh, The thought is that Apple is looking to make HomePod more of a central focus in its home strategy, in its home product strategy, so becoming more of a centralized hub in your home for music, TV, uh, FaceTime and video calls, HomeKit integration and that sort of thing. So having a screen on a HomePod would enable a lot of that functionality and sort of expand what Apple is doing with HomePod and Apple TV. A lot of people are seeing it as kind of the convergence product, uh, converging HomePod, Apple TV, HomeKit all into a single unit. So it could be very, very interesting, but it looks like we're not going to get a look at it probably until next year. You know, as always, you never know what Apple's going to be doing with products. So it could become a product. It could morph into something else who really really knows i know a lot of us myself included wouldn't mind apple seeing uh bringing back their networking uh technologies you know we a lot of us miss the um airport and uh, airport technology and so maybe integrating that into the hub as well would be really really nice although we haven't heard any rumors To that effect, but I'd love to see that happen as well. But right now it's looking like it's going to be this home focused product. And then uh, I guess somewhat related to that, we had a couple new references this week for AirPods in the latest iOS 16.4 betas that were released to developers over the past week. AirPods with model number A. 3048 and new AirPods case with a model number of A2968 these are model numbers we had not seen before that's led to some speculation that Apple might be planning a AirPods update in the near future now considering the fact that Apple recently released new AirPods Pro 2s and the fact that the AirPods Max doesn't really have a charging case per se It's hard to know what this reference is for because it's largely believed that Apple's not planning on doing an AirPods 2, 3 update. So the non-Pro AirPods, not planning on doing an update for those for a while. Um, That focus would remain on the AirPods Pro. So Belief right now, I guess, with this rumor is that potentially Apple could be doing kind of a rev of this latest AirPods Pro update. As you know, they didn't get uh, USB-C charging on that. It still has the charging case with the lightning connector. So Ming-Chi Kuo is saying that uh, maybe in the second or third quarter Apple will do a little rev to the charging case on the AirPods Pro 2 and bring USB-C. Apple kind of transitioning everything to USB-C. I think we've already seen that that transition has largely begun but there's these few holdout products that are still there with the Lightning connector and Apple working on uh, changing that for a number of reasons that we've talked about but one of probably the most pressing ones is some of the the uh, legal changes happening over in the eu so just pre- preparing for that but again i think too it's, it's time to move on from lightning USB C is a very convenient universal connector and it just makes things easier for for everyone so that's happening and that could be what's going on with the airpods pro Speaking of things globally, it looks like Apple is planning to open a new retail location, an actual flagship store over in India. They're getting very, very close. It's going to be a new 22,000 square foot facility at the Geo World Drive Mall in Mumbai. It is expected to open around the first of next month. So if you happen to be in that region, that would be, I think, a really fun Apple store opening to go check out if you do uh, send us some pictures and some photos I'd love to to get a look at it uh, firsthand from someone in our community that would be awesome there's also a smaller quote unquote smaller ten thousand to twelve thousand square foot location opening up at the select city Walk mall in New delhi that's supposed to happen around April or June. As you may or may not know, India is quickly becoming a key and emerging market for Apple. Uh, they haven't had a huge stronghold there, um, or a huge foothold there, but they are growing. Considering it's the second largest smartphone market in the world, it makes makes sense for Apple to continue to focus their efforts there. They'd already brought in some manufacturing and done some things to be able to sell more easily in the country. And uh, it looks like they're continuing to do their expansion with a couple of new retail stores. So again, if you happen to be in the region and uh, hit up either of these stores when they open, please send us your thoughts, comments, and uh, some photos. That would be really, really cool to see. Looking at this year's iPhone 15s, it's largely believed, as we were talking about earlier, that USB-C connectivity is going to be replacing the lightning connector on this year's lineup of iPhone 15s. What we're learning now, though, we talked a little bit about this, I think, last week, is that in Apple's world not all USB-C is going to be created equal. Uh, while they are going to be supporting the standard across the board, uh, if you want to get the best performance with your Apple products, it look, looks like you're going to have to have your USB-C accessories, including cables and chargers and all those sort of things, blessed by Apple uh, through their MFI program. It's really nothing new. We heard these rumors from SureUp Apple Pro that Apple's still going to push uh MFI certification even as they transition to the USB-C world what's interesting about this i guess is it seems to be focusing around the iPhone we've already seen USB-C in a number of other areas including the iPad and they hadn't really done it there yet so i guess you know, these are rumors. Anything could change, but it's sounding more and more likely, especially with iPhone, that they are going to push this. Ming-Chi Kuo has also chimed in to say that the iPhone 15s will have fast charging capabilities, but if you want to get the fastest charging, you're going to need both Apple certified, an Apple-certified USB-C charger and an Apple-certified USB-C cable. So you'll still be able to charge, just not at the fastest rates. And uh, another area where speed is going to matter when it comes to USB C is whether you have an iPhone or an iPhone Pro. It's believed that the faster USB. 3.2 data speeds are only going to be supported on the iPhone 15 Pro lineup. With the non-Pro models using the older and somewhat slower USB-C or USB rather 2.0 data transfer speeds. Uh, that's similar to what you get with Lightning in your iPhone today. So if you want the fastest transfer rates, you're going to be looking at an iPhone Pro versus an iPhone. Uh, standard i guess we'll call it <laughs> and then uh, due to the requirements and the fact that apple will no longer ship a charger in the box ming chi Kuo is also uh, thinking that apple will see a pretty nice uptick in shipments of their 20 watt USB-C chargers that's because that model is a little bit uh, less expensive he says that there he expects to see significant growth 30 to 40% year over year in shipments of Apple's USB-C chargers. That would amount to about 230 to 240 million units uh, next year, Apple shipping of chargers. So, you know, more iPhones, more chargers, everybody, of course, is going to want the fastest, best performance. And uh, they're expecting to see an uptick in sales because of that. So, this is where it gets a little bit controversial, I think, sometimes when Apple does these certifications because not only is it an added cost to manufacturers, but also, as you can see, potentially directly benefits Apple in terms of their bottom line. I think that's ultimately a good thing. Apple's in the business to make money, and uh, if this helps them, then I think that's uh, you know what they need to do. But uh, others will disagree. And if you do disagree, I'd love to hear from you. MacCast at gmail.com. And then finally, Ming-Chi Kuo says that Apple is planning on moving the proximity sensor in the iPhone 15 models this year up from behind the screen into the area where the dynamic island is it is believed that all the iPhone 15 models this year will have the dynamic island unlike last year where only the pro model iPhone 14s got that um and uh, right now on the iPhone 14s the proximity sensor that's the one that detects when you're holding the phone to your ear is actually under the display Quo says they're going to move it up into the Dynamic Island. There's no real rationale given for it. We don't know why they need to move it, uh, just that they are going to move it. Some people believe it might be for uh, better, I guess, performance. Maybe it'll work better up there. I don't know that we've had reports of particular issues with the current proximity sensor, but... It's getting moved, uh, at least according to Ming-Chi Kuo. And that's kind of the latest uh what we're hearing with the iPhone 15s. Moving on to take a look at Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, Apple TV Plus shows have been doing very, very well over the last couple of years with awards shows. And there's no exception this year for the 2022 three BAFTA awards. Those are the British Academy of Film and Television Arts Awards. Apple scored a nice 15 nominations in the upcoming awards show. The nominations were led by shows like Slow Horses and Bad Sisters, but they did get other nominations for shows like Essex, The Essex Serpent, Pachinko, and Blackbird. So uh, those awards are upcoming, and we'll have to see how Apple makes out. Sports have also been a pretty big focus for Apple TV Plus. You know, last year they introduced Friday Night Baseball uh, with Major League Baseball here in the States. And that is going to be coming back to Apple TV Plus this year. But it is going to look a little bit different or be a little bit different. The season starts on April 7th and you'll be able to watch weekly double headers. But this year you are going to need to be an Apple TV Plus subscriber to see all that action. Last year they had made it available to anyone uh, just Having the Apple TV app, but now you will need to be a subscriber. The games will be offered with no restrictions or blackouts, and this year are going to be available in 60 countries. That's up from just 12 countries last year. So they're expanding the lineup, but uh, you do need to be a subscriber. Now, that's not a separate subscription, that's just your Apple TV Plus subscription. So as long as you're an Apple TV Plus subscriber, you be you will be able to do that. And I guess uh, I had not heard too much about this until now, but there were some complaints about the original uh, Friday Night Baseball when it came to commentators and reporters. A lot of people were not really happy with Apple's coverage. It looks like they're going to be doing something about that this year. They've brought on a whole new lineup of commentators and reporters that have extensive backgrounds in the industry. So hopefully they will have uh, iterated on and improved that coverage. I'm not a huge sports person, so I don't have a big opinion on it. If you do, uh, let me know. MacCast at gmail.com. And then... Continuing on in sports, Bloomberg says that Apple is considering trying to get the right to stream some of the UK Premier League and Lower League football matches uh for us yanks that's soccer but apple trying to move a little bit more into soccer this time over in the uk we know they already have the deal with the mls Uh, right now in the uk games are streamed through sky bt sport and amazon and then over here in the u.s premier league games are streamed over on peacock apple wanting to get in on some of that action at least in the uk They're probably not going to be able to get exclusive or, you know, full streaming rights, but they're looking to do more like what Amazon is doing over there. And we'll have to see how that pans out for them. But they're definitely trying to get their foot in the door. And then Apple TV Plus has been continuing to roll out, I think, what is an impressive lineup of award-winning TV shows and series But overall, on the film side, they kind of had that big win last year with Coda at the Oscars. They won for Best Picture, but their film lineup, while it's been, I would say, really good, it's not been quite as great as their television lineup. Now, Apple seems to be trying to change that, at least according to Bloomberg. They say that Apple is going to spend up to $1 billion a year on films and most of those are going to have at least a small theatrical run. Uh, they do that because that will then qualify them for the award shows. Also, apparently having a film in theaters is a way to a- attract better and higher quality talent out of Hollywood, probably because they also want to be eligible for those award shows for their productions. So uh, we'll have to see if Apple kind of beefs up their, their Apple original film lineup. It sounds like they are, there's a lot of big films already in the works though, and coming. And one highly anticipated title of course is Martin Scorsese's killers of the flower moon, which will star Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Robert De Niro among other great stars. I think Brandon Frazier is also in it. So, uh, Apple, you know, hopefully going to be showing up a little bit more in those award shows in the coming year as more and more films come out. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with their film lineup. I've enjoyed quite a few of those. Coda, of course, was awesome. I also really liked both Tom Hanks films, Greyhound and Finch. The Banker was good. Palmer, uh, Raymond and Ray, and The Greatest Beer Run. So I guess they've had quite a few really good films. Just not probably at the caliber of something like a Coda, and we'll see if they can uh, they can bump that up by throwing a little more cash at the situation. And then finally, in the news for this week, looks like Apple is preparing to launch their AR VR mixed reality headset. Bloomberg said that Apple reportedly gave a quote polished, glitzy, and exciting demo of the product expected to be released soon to a group of about 100 of their top executives in the Steve Jobs Theater this last week. The demo was designed to build excitement for the public announcement, which we believe could happen possibly at Worldwide Developer Conference. Most likely it will be there so that they can kind of get set and ready to produce some software for it but what's interesting about this product i think versus a lot of the other products that apple introduced is that the expectations for it are a little bit mixed i don't know if mixed is the right term i'm not sure how to how to phrase this because basically i think apple's being very realistic about what the prospects for the new product is and it's kind of a dichotomy versus the steve jobs era so maybe this is a little bit more of the tim cook era of apple and i think that uncertainty is bringing some worry and hesitation from longtime apple fans i'm kind of still trying to form my opinion about it but really in looking at it i think it's ultimately kind of some good news that apple executives are being somewhat realistic about the prospects of this first generation product knowing that it's not likely going to be a hit right out of the gate. And again, that tends to be something we don't associate Apple with, right? Bringing out a new product and really disrupting and changing an entire market. Now, here's the thing. I think that's still likely to happen with this product. And I also think that often we forget a little bit about How history goes we get rose colored glasses when it comes to apple right and what happened there's that reality distortion field and we'll talk about that in a second but let's start with why this product might not be a huge hit or a huge splash day one and i think you likely know a lot of these things but let's just summarize some of the rumors we've been hearing about first off It's expected to be very, very expensive, likely $3,000 or more. So this is really going to be a product targeted at really, really early adopters, people who are maybe curious about this technology, targeted at developers who people want to maybe develop for this platform as Apple continues to iterate and uh, release new versions of it right? So it's going to get cheaper over time, just like all Apple products do. But this first version is really not going to be for everyone. So likely not going to be selling a ton of units. It's also expected that this version is going to be a little bit clunky, bulky when it comes and comes to the hardware. So it's maybe not as refined a product as Apple would like to release. But I think the thought is they need to get something in the market because a lot of their competitors have been in this space for many many years luckily they haven't really moved the needle too much and i think that's apple's ultimate goal right just like they've done with other product categories is to really move the market move the needle in the space make a big impression and splash and i think the product still has the capability to do that although again it's a little uncertain because Another thing we're hearing is they really don't have a killer app for it. And this is probably the place I would be most concerned. Usually Apple has a really defined exact sort of story to tell about who the product is for and it sounds like maybe they are they don't really know that for this product. And that's a little, that's a little bit scary, right? Usually it's like, here's what we're trying to do. Here's who the product is for. Here's how you're going to use it. And they really tend to define that. And this product may not have that. And then there's just other technical challenges. Uh, Poor battery life we're hearing about. It's not going to last very long. It might have this clunky external battery pack. Again, overall design, maybe not as refined as Apple would like it. Limited content at launch, even entertainment content. But that will come over time. And so, you know, a lot of people, this has led a lot of people to reportedly say it's a solution in search of a problem. I think, again, the entire industry has kind of been grappling with this for a few years now, and I think Apple's really seeing this as the moment that they need to really set a foothold in this space and then can maybe iterate on. And so that's what I think there is to be excited about, the hope that the product will make apple a market leader in the mixed reality space within just a few months they can establish a space create a platform and then quickly and this is going to be the key they're going to need to quickly iterate on that platform if they have delays then that could cause problems for them but we've seen them do this before right you come out with a revolutionary new product and it may be at a very expensive price point. It may be a little bit clunkier than you were hoping. And then you quickly iterate and change that. I think a lot of us forget that the original iPhone launch was really not great for Apple. They didn't have an app store. They didn't have a lot of content. Steve Jobs tried to sell us on this idea of web apps. And we know how that turned out. The product was also very expensive. It wasn't subsidized by by the phone companies and that quickly changed right as they as they saw the need to kind of get into the market ipod was very very similar as revolutionary as it was it was way more expensive than any other mp3 players that were on the market at the time and a lot of people really questioned the strategy and yeah it was a little bit bulky the technology was pretty refined but as we know over the years it got more and more refined and better and better and i would argue that for the iPhone and the iPod, I don't think it was really a commercial success until probably at least the second, more likely third generation of that product. So I think we'll see that here as well. You have an expensive product, maybe limited appeal, maybe just targeted at early adopters, the people who sort of get it or want to get into that space. And then um, the content, the iteration, all that stuff comes over time. So I think there's the potential for that with the AR VR headset. It's going to be really up to Apple to kind of drive their own destiny. And I think that's the positive thing uh, I can see from this is Apple's usually pretty good at controlling the narrative, controlling their own destiny. We've seen it get away from them a few times with a few products, but that's a rare and far between. And I hope that that isn't the case with this, but only time will tell. And again, I think it's smart for them to get a product into the market now and not really wait. I'm still a little bit baffled and confused about who this product is going to be for. It sounds like Apple might be themselves, but the market can also help drive that. So I'm excited to see what they have. Hopefully we'll get a A glimpse of it at Worldwide Developer Conference. And I'd be curious to know your opinion. Is this a product that you are interested in, excited about? How do you feel about it? How do you feel about Apple's strategy from what we're hearing? Is this the right move? Is this going to be the downfall of Apple? I don't really know. And I'm curious to know your opinion. Shoot me an email, send me an audio comment, maccast at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a show sponsor, and that is Shady Rays. You know, what's worse than buying a pair of expensive sunglasses and losing them right after you get them? Yeah, breaking them. That would be be worse. As a kid of the 80s, I know about expensive sunglasses. They were all the rage. I... Like had to get a pair. I saved forever to get one. It was completely awesome until guess what? Yeah, lost them, right? Pretty much made me a not a sunglasses person for a very, very long time. But now with Shady Rays, I am super excited to get back into owning sunglasses. Summer's right around the corner, so I'm definitely going to need them. And Shady Rays makes high quality sunglasses that are just as good or even better than the expensive ones, and they come at a fraction of the price. Shady Rays are durable, built to tackle all of life's outdoor adventures, and their styles are timeless. I'm going with the classic timber, but just browsing through the options, you'll see there are styles to meet everyone's taste and style. Plus, all Shady Rays have polarized lenses for crystal clear vision and strong sun protection and that's the real test of a good pair of sunglasses and i won't have to worry about breaking or losing my shady rays because every pair of shady rays is backed by their industry-leading lost and broken replacement program break or lose your pair the second you take them out of the box not a problem they will send you a replacement pair you just pay a nominal replacement fee Also, Shady Rays isn't happy unless you're happy, and that's why they give you 30 days to try them out. And if you don't like them, you can exchange them or return them for free. With every order, the Shady Rays Impact Program also works with nonprofits worldwide to make an impact on the lives of children and young adults, like buying playsets for pediatric cancer patients and creating adventures for young adults with cancer and MS. You and Shady Rays are making an impact together. So what's better than getting one pair of Shady Rays and not worrying about breaking or losing them? Getting two. Go to ShadyRays.com slash MacCast and use the code MacCast for a limited time. When you buy one pair of Shady Rays, you are going to get a second pair for free. That's S-H-A-D-Y-R-A-Y-S dot com slash MacCast and the code MacCast to get a second pair of Shady Rays for free. ShadyRace.com slash MacCast and code MacCast. And a big thank you to Shady Rays for their support of the show. If you heard the episode last time, you know, I brought up a topic that uh, I think treads into an area that I no- normally don't uh, move into on the MacCast. One I try to avoid, which is something that can be a little bit divisive. In our community, it came down to words and terminology. If you want to go back and listen to it, if you hadn't heard it yet, we were talking about the word fanboys and how it made uh, certain members of our community feel. And I brought up the fact that, you know, I use it in a way that I find for myself to be empowering i also find it to be gender neutral but a lot of people maybe don't agree with that and i'm the type of person who when something like that comes up and somebody brings up a topic with with me I want to better understand and grow and learn as a human and a member of the human race and maybe become a better person because of it or just be a more inclusive person because of it. And so I threw it out to the community and actually I had a great conversation with the person who brought this topic up with me and we both came to a better understanding of each other and uh, that is what actually prompted me to bring it up in the larger community normally I would have kept that sort of private but it really got me curious to know your opinion and I really wanted to share the conversation with the community because as I've always stated with this show this is about the community this is not a show for me it's not a show just for you it's a show for all of us and I want it to continue to be that and I was a little worried that this conversation would devolve into the giant elephant in the room and it did a little bit but and it's also specifically why i avoid generally this kind of topic on the show and just so you know uh, this will be the end of this conversation after after this but i thought it was very very important to discuss because really for me what it comes down to is not the sort of current cultural politics i guess is the only way to to say it i kind of see it as a little bit more than that but it it comes down to the fact that I feel like in the world today, we've become so divisive and we're so focused on our differences. And I'm hoping that we change that, that we look at more embracing all of the places that we're similar, because I think we're similar in many, many more ways than we are different. And I think if we could do that, the world would just be a better place. I also think that overall, this conversation is about just having respect for each other as human beings who share the same planet. So it's very much for me not about the words, the language, or anything like that, but it's about trying to understand the points of view of people who you might not agree with everything on, and trying to reach and make a compromise without necessarily having to change your own views. I don't think I have to change my personal opinions on the term fanboys, Uh, and I'm Not, you know, honestly, I'm not going to change sort of my views on it. But for the better good of the entire community, I am willing to compromise and maybe make a change of how I run this show and uh, what words and terminology and things I use. So, just so you know where the feedback came from. And this was a topic, I probably got more feedback on this topic than any other topic I've ever covered here on the MacCast, which I found very, very interesting, because people are very passionate about technology. Obviously, people are very passionate about culture and, and what's going on in our world, so maybe it's not that surprising. But overwhelmingly, um, this main question was posed to the female portion of my our community, and I did hear back from a number of them. And it turns out that most of them weren't bothered necessarily by my use of fanboy and they recognized that i wasn't using it and intentionally in any kind of negative way or any gender specific way but it definitely did not make them feel as represented as they would generally like but secondly and i think most importantly and the most interesting thing i learned about this is that the vast majority of the community Uh, Seemed to disagree with me with the idea that I saw fanboy as not a negative term, but more in the context of something like geek or nerd, where it was a term that was initially uh, meant to be divisive and uh, sort of slam against Apple fans. And I use it to turn it into something that is worn like a badge of honor. I will and do consider myself an Apple fanboy, and I see that as ultimately a good thing. But vast majority of the community did not see it that way. And so that was the interesting thing that I learned from the community. And mainly for that second reason, I think that it's maybe not appropriate to use that terminology in this specific forum. Again, as I've already established, to me personally, I I am a fanboy, and I consider myself one, and I enjoy, as I talked about on the previous episode, stealing the negative connotation away from that word by using it. So if you you know, encounter me in real life at some point, you might hear me describe myself with that term, but at the end of the day, this community is a place for all Mac geeks, and I mean all Mac geeks, all Apple fans. And I think it's simple enough to not use language intentionally that could make a person that's part of this community, whoever they are and how many of them there are, possibly feel awkward or less welcome in the community. And I'm really okay with that compromise. I don't see it as compromising my integrity or my opinions or my thoughts but I see it as a way of including the larger community at large. And so we'll, you know, we'll just call ourselves fans here, and uh, I will continue to be a fanboy outside of of the MacCast. And I, again, I think that's great. And again, I really learned a lot from this community on all sides of this conversation. And uh, I appreciate you and thank you for sharing your Opinions. You're welcome to continue to share those, but I think that's kind of the end of the discussion here on the MacCast. And uh, I think we'll move back into, you know, focusing on the tech and our nerddom and all that fun stuff. So thanks again. And uh, let's see what we got next. And actually what we have next is I think something fun because it's a little bit of a mystery and a mystery that I am going to need your help in solving i have some i I guess i should say i had some theories and ideas but i don't think they technically apply to what's going on this came via via an email from dan dan has a mac studio which i'm a little bit jealous of really nice machine and uh, it started to make a mystery sound when waking from sleep so here's what it sounds like. And just be prepared. This is a little bit of annoying noise. So you may want to turn down your volume a little bit. Um, But I want you to be able to hear this. So here's the sound it's making. so i think we all can agree that that is rather annoying (laughs) and uh just for the record i played that three times in a row really for dance machine this is just happening with a single beep as the mac comes out of sleep so on wake from sleep it makes one of those tones and that is the only sound uh that it is making So as far as beeping and Macs go, the only thing that I'm aware of, and I'll have a link to the support article in the show notes at MacCast.com, is that on, uh, and I don't know if this is for modern Macs or only older Macs, uh, but uh, there were startup sounds or noises or beeps that could happen when you first boot your computer that would be indicative of a potential hardware issue or something going on with your Mac's hardware. So there was one where you'd get a beep about every five seconds, and that was when your Mac wouldn't detect any RAM. Or So if you recently added memory or replaced memory, which we know we can't do in modern Macs, then that could happen. I don't know if you were having a memory problem with a current modern Mac with integrated RAM, you know, soldered to the motherboard, if those beeps would happen, but that would be one thing. There's also three beeps and then a five-second pause and then three beeps, a five-second pause, repeating, that, again, was um, memory in your Mac not passing integrity checks. Again, that could be something. And then there was another one, which would be three long beeps, three short, then three long. And that was a your Mac restoring its firmware because of a firmware issue. And in those cases, you might see a startup uh, progress bar during startup. So those are the only beeps that I'm aware of. They don't, I believe, apply in this situation, specifically because it's only happening on Awake from Sleep. Now, the other thing I know about the Mac Studio in terms of noises is that there were reports early on of some owners saying that there was a high-pitched fan noise, but that would be constant and consistent as the fans were running. And since this is only kind of a single beep Or squeak, I guess, on awake from sleep. I don't think that's it unless there's something that's like just flicking, you know, the fan on real briefly and it's causing it to squeak. But this definitely sounds more like an electronic beep to my ears than an actual like squeaking of a fan or something like that. So the only other thing that came to my mind as a possible source for this sound would be maybe an accessibility setting. I thought, you know, maybe for users with visual impairments, there's a way to set an audible tone that indicates the Mac is waking from sleep so that, you know, since you can't see the screen sort of coming on, um, that maybe there would be a sound. But I dug through all of the accessibility settings I could go through on my Mac, and I did not find anything related to that i guess there was one other thing that i did ask dan about and that was have you made any recent hardware or software changes that could have introduced the sound and he really couldn't think of anything there was nothing that really jumped out at him so here we are we are stuck with this mystery that i do not have an answer for but guess what we have a large community i'm assuming some of you out there have mac studios and maybe someone has run into this or experienced this and has our answer so what are your thoughts after hearing this has anyone experienced this does anybody know what's going on let us know, and we will solve, hopefully, Dan's mystery by the next episode. at gmail.com is where you can send your feedback, and I look forward to hopefully solving this mystery. And finally, uh, backups. You know, we talk a lot about backups on the show, and every once in a while, a backup topic comes up. And no exception this week, Mike emailed me, and said, hey, I have time machine backup, but I'm curious about hard drives and what to use for time machine backup. Specifically, he said, is there any advantage to using a traditional hard drive, a spinning hard drive, versus an SSD for backing up your Mac with time machine? And then also, if I use an SSD, does it matter if it's an NLC or something else? And I think I'm going to try to answer this a little bit more generally when it comes to backup and hard drives. And the first question, I believe, especially now, is kind of a nuanced one, right? Traditional hard drive versus SSD. And I say it's nuanced mainly because the prices of SSDs have come down so much in the past few years, and they definitely have some advantages. But before we get into that kind of debate, I want to also talk about the second part of that question, which is, you know, do I use an MLC SSD? Does that matter or should I use something else? And I bring that up because I'll admit to being naive. I didn't know what an MLC was. I buy SSDs or have bought SSDs, and this is a term I've never run across before. So I had to do a little bit of research, and I looked it up, and I'll share that with you. MLC stands for multi-level cell. Apparently, there is also TLC, or what's known as triple-level cell SSDs. And what does that mean, and why does it matter? Well, apparently, uh, oh, just as an aside, uh, some see uh, TLC drives, triple-level cell SSD drives, as a type of multi-level cell it's debated apparently in the storage community uh it doesn't really matter for us but it's my understanding that they are not the same one is not the subset of the other there's a bunch of technical reasons for it but we don't need to get into that for this discussion um if you have an opinion on it you're welcome to let me know but an mlc is a ssd that can store two bits of data per cell And then a TLC, as you might imagine, given its name, is three bits of data per cell. At the end of the day, what it seems like to me is it all comes down to storage density and how the SSD drives work. So a TSL SSD will have eight different charge levels for its cells and an MLC will have four. For you and I, what we need to just know is the difference is really going to come down to cost, reliability, performance, and endurance. So, uh, triple level cells, TLCs, tend to be less expensive by about 10 to 20%. And that's because they have more storage layers and they're less expensive to make. Now, MLCs tend to be more reliable because they have those fewer voltage levels, and every voltage level potentially adds a little more room for error. MLCs also tend to be faster uh, because during reads to the drive, you need to check every voltage level, and so because they only have two versus three, fewer levels, fewer checks, drive ends up being faster and they also apparently tend to have better longevity they last longer because they have fewer cells and so if you could afford it because MLCs tend to be a little more expensive they should offer better performance better endurance and better reliability so I think at the end of the day Mike for your specific question you're ultimately going to if you go with SSD want an MLC drive and that's i think it sounds like those are the most common at this point at least for consumer products and so that's likely what you're going to wind up with if you go the ssd route now let's have the larger conversation about do you do hdd you know traditional hard drive spinning hard drive versus ssd and the you know the reality is is that Spinning drives are going to be more affordable uh, in terms of cost for overall storage. They still are, and uh, they have some advantages and some disadvantages. The disadvantages tend to be that, as you might imagine, spinning drives have moving parts, and that means they tend to be less rugged. Uh, They make more noise and technically have lower longevity right the parts can wear out over time and that said I've personally had hard drives that have lasted 10 years or more I don't count that as the norm and I don't rely on that definitely don't rely on that but I've definitely have hard have had hard drives that last a really really long time so just something to kind of keep in the back of your mind another thing that I wanted to Kind of quickly do an aside on is uh, hard drive colors. I think this is mainly a Western digital thing, but you will hear it discussed when talking about traditional hard drives. So Western Digital kind of rates their drives with different colors for different purposes. So they have their blue drives, which tend to be the all-around general-purpose drives. Um, a lot of people tend to just buy the blue drives. You also have greens, which offer, I think, less performance. I think they tend to be the slower-spinning drives, which, when it comes to backup, probably doesn't matter too much. You know, performance is one of those things. But... They tend to be more eco-friendly because of that, so I think that's why they call them green drives. You have the black drives, which are like their performance drives. Those are for like media, content creation, gaming. They also tend to be the more expensive hard drives. Uh, You have the red ones, which are optimized for NAS storage, network-attached storage. I use red drives in my Drobo and in my Synologies. Um, so they tend to be, I think, rated for a little bit more longevity, more rewrite cycles, all those sorts of things. And then you have the ones that probably most consumers don't really have to deal with too much. There's purple ones. They tend to be for surveillance applications. So like security camera footage and stuff like that, they're designed for 24 seven operation. And then you have gold, which is like data center, really high end, premium, very, very expensive drives and stuff like that. So mostly you're going to be looking at probably blue or red, maybe green if you're looking at a traditional hard drive. Now, the benefits of a traditional hard drive for backup, they're great if you need a ton of storage and want to save money. Um, They are great for backup drives with a few exceptions. If you're looking for the absolute fastest backup, that you can do you need to be moving like tons of large files and stuff like that ssd may be a better option but for me personally overall i'm not babysitting my backups i'm not sitting there waiting for stuff to copy so ultimately speed to me does not matter too much again if you're doing video editing every day and generating massive massive files that you need to be backing up daily that might be a different need for you. So really, a lot of times it comes down to the need for the backup. Also, if you're using the drives for like archiving, i.e. you're working on a project and you just need to move a giant project over to another drive for storage and recovery later, then you might want to consider an SSD for that. So benefits of SSD, I think we already kind of touched on them a little bit, but speed... You know, even a quote unquote slow SSD is going to be a lot faster than even the fastest traditional hard drive. So if speed is your thing, large file transfers or durability, especially if you're going to be like out in the field, if you're traveling, if you're a photographer something like that, you might consider SSD even for your backups because there's no moving parts. You can bump them around. Nothing's going to happen to them. All that sort of stuff ultimately when i think it comes down to choosing a backup drive longevity may be the thing that we're most looking for like how long is my data going to be safe and secure on my backup drives now traditional hard drives are lower longevity tends to be three to five years i've always given the rule of thumb when you're buying at least a traditional hard drive, whatever its warranty is, if it's a three or three-year warranty or a five-year warranty, that's probably what they've tested it for. And that's why it's rated that way. So typically they find that those drives are going to last that long. SSDs, because there's no moving parts, tend to last a little bit longer, five to 10 years in normal operation. Um, a lot of the discussion when it comes to ssds comes around limited read write cycles and you know how how much you're reading and writing to the drive affects how long it will be uh, able to be an operation modern ssds and with the way most of us use them you're not really going to have to worry about it again it's going to be like five to ten year normal operation normal usage and keep in mind with backups that's not really a normal operation right After a first pass, so especially with something like Time Machine, right, you're going to do an initial big backup of your entire drive. So there's a lot of, you know, writing going on, reading, writing going on at that point. But after that, everything is just incremental changes. So you're not reading and writing a ton of data to your backup drives on a daily basis. You're also not doing a lot of recovery from a backup drive, right? Backups there for an emergency, and you're not going in there every day and accessing the files, reading files off of there, doing stuff with that drive. So it's not going to be in heavy rotation or heavy operation in either situation, whether you go with the traditional hard drive or an SSD. So that's another thing to kind of consider with this. So There's all of that. And then when it comes to longevity and reliability of a drive, brand does matter. Get a good quality drive, something that has a decent warranty. I tend to try to stick with the name brands. So you're talking about Seagate, you're talking about Western Digital. There aren't a ton of options out there. Um, I buy one of those two brands and they're both, you know, highly rated. There's a lot of debate. People have their own personal preferences, but those are both good companies And you would be, uh, you would be okay with any one of their drives. And when it comes to actually brands of like cases and, and, and actual, like if you're looking at external hard drives and stuff like that, I again, tend to buy direct from Western Digital or Seagate, but you know, you can get something like an OWC. I've bought drives from OWC. They're great. let There's a bunch of like high-end brand names, but keep in mind, they're just putting in generally seagate or western digital drives inside the case and what you're buying really from them is the quality of the external case the power supply the 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 connections and all that stuff so you will want to do a little bit of research there but again if you're sticking with a well-known highly reputable name brand uh, you should be totally fine there and for the record any hard drive ssd traditional hard drive anything can fail at any time for a multitude of reasons there's no absolute guarantees that you you know you buy this brand Seagate or that color Western Digital and you're not going to have any problems don't let anybody ever tell you that right that's why also we do not just one backup but multiple backups because hard drives can and will i think that's more the more important thing they will fail at some point so be prepared for that situation and that's why you have your backups so what are we getting to with all of this bottom line if you like the benefits and can afford it these days and are willing to pay a little bit more ssds are going to be fine for backup they're also going to be easier to recover from you know recovery is going to be a lot faster because they're just faster drives they have a lot of advantages over hard drives they last longer they're more durable All of those things. But you're going to be paying more per gigabyte of storage. So just be aware of that. And if you're willing to do that and you have the ability to do that, I would say at this point uh, SSDs are definitely the way to go across the board for all applications. But if you just want to get the most amount of backup for a great price without breaking the bank, you are still fine to use a traditional hard drive. I think backups is one of the probably few remaining applications where it makes sense to use an HDD, a traditional hard drive, and you're not really going to suffer much from not having an SSD. I currently only have traditional spinning hard drives for all of my backups, at least locally, and it's working fine for me. I have no issues, not a problem. As I buy new drives, when I go to replace these, most likely I'm going to be replacing them with SSDs. And that's just going to be what I'm investing in and buying moving forward. But really, it comes down to a personal choice. I hope some of these this conversation has helped you. I'm sure other folks in the community might have their own thoughts and opinions and welcome anyone to share those with us. But with that, that is going to do it for this episode of the MacCast. Thank you for hanging out with me. Before I leave you, I'd like to thank cashfly for providing the bandwidth for the maccast you can find more information on them at c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com and all advertising in the maccast is handled by backbeat media they are at com. as always i love hearing from you if you have a comment a question something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the maccast you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 281 622 4269 281 9 If you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the Maccast, you can find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the Maccast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on Instagram, just maccast on Instagram. But that is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.